This is The Podcast Method, episode number six. Today is Friday, January 23rd, 2015. My name is Dan Benjamin. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I have the start of a uh, of a cold. I'm not sure if you can tell. I can tell when I listen to my own voice. Uh, obviously, I've got other symptoms as well, but I can hear it. I can hear it. And that's something that's really interesting. Uh, it leads me to think about a few of the questions that I've been asked and a few things that I've been making notes as I'm, you know, here at work recording other shows, I often think, oh, that would be something I should talk about. So I kind of write down a little, a little note. And one of them is about doing sponsorships during a show, also doing an interview and uh, reworking it later, doing editing and things like that in, in post. And uh, so there's a trick. You may, if, if, if you're a savvy listener, and you listen to interview shows a lot, or if you listen to like uh, NPR in the morning and you hear, uh, you hear one of these shows where they're talking to someone on the phone, asking that person these questions. And the questions are, they're so astute and they fit so well with the answers that they've been given. Well, there's a trick to that. And what that is, is so let's say you want to interview somebody. You, uh, you schedule the time with the person, you call them up probably on Skype, and you hit record, and you say, oh, uh, you know, hey, Mary, how are you today? I've got a few questions for you. And she says, oh, I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, what are your questions? And you, you ask the different questions, and over the course of a 15 or 20-minute interview, you say, okay, this was great. Thank you so much. She says, great. Then you go back, and you're going to listen to that interview. You're going to then say, you know what? This answer that she gave me was great. Uh, but the way I asked the question, I stumbled over my words or maybe I asked her a couple things and she had this really poignant answer. You know what? I'm just going to re-record the question. I'll ask the question in a better, more concise way that uh, equals her answer a little bit better. That is an age-old way of doing an interview. It helps you as the interviewer kind of step back and out of the way, which is very good. That's your job as an interviewer is to focus on the interviewee. But it also helps with the flow of that whole interview and it helps emphasize their answers. It doesn't hurt that you might even sound like a better interviewer in the process, but it makes for a much tighter, better and more concise uh, interview. And, uh, and, and what's also uh, connected to this is a lot of people when they're doing sponsorships, especially, you know, we have got plenty of shows on 5x5 five five where you want that sponsorship, you want that ad to, to fit into the show, but you're talking to someone or you're interviewing someone and, you know, it almost feels rude to interrupt this great point that they're making or this great conversation that you have with. And by the way, we'd like to say thanks very much to our sponsor today. You're jumping out of the conversation in a way and you don't want to lose that momentum. So a lot of the time, and I, I do this sometimes too, but a lot of folks will kind of make a mental note of here's a spot I could maybe put a sponsorship in later, uh, but I'll just record that at the end of the show. No one will know. No one will know. Actually, they will know. And the way that they know is the same way that in a week when I listen back to this show, I'll know I had a little bit of a cold starting is because your voice sounds a little bit different even after an hour of recording something. So when you're going to do those spots, if you're planning on dropping them in later, you might want to pre-record them as opposed to recording them at the end of the show. Or if you're going to record them at the end, Record them immediately as the minute that you say goodbye to your guests or your co-hosts, record that spot right then. Because especially if you're just getting into the groove of this, your voice gets trained, right? I've talked about this, I think, in the episode five, in the last episode. Your, your voice is something that you can develop and it will get stronger the more that you use it. Eventually, you'll get so good at it that you can uh, record a show and that you could record multiple shows or talk for two or three hours and you'll sound the same that you did at, at the beginning. But I remember uh, back when I was doing the one of the first couple shows on 5x5, five five, like the pipeline and the conversation especially, uh, that by the end of, of a one to two hour recording session, I'd sound like this and my voice would be hoarse and I'd go to record the spot and you'd be listening to that interview in the beginning and I'd sound great and bright and fresh and then you'd have this spot where I sounded like a 90-year-old dude. Uh, you can avoid that uh, by pre-recording the spots if you're uncomfortable doing it in, in the middle of the show uh, or post-recording them or you know what? Do both. Pick the one that sounds better. 
do multiple tra- takes at it and, and inject the one that, uh, that seems fine. I want to add one more thing about that, and that is, in my experience, if you're going to be doing an interview, set the expectation for the person you're going to be interviewing. Say, I think this interview will take about 45 minutes. And uh, by the way, I, I have to do a sponsor break. So, uh, you know, I'll probably do one at about 20 minutes and I'll probably do one at about 40 minutes. So just a heads up, uh, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be doing that during the course of, of this show. It'll set up their expectation. And you know what? They might be thankful that you're doing it because it gives them a chance to sort of sit back in their chair. It gives them a chance to take a sip of, uh, of their beverage. It, it gives them a chance to sort of be off for the minute or two that it'll take you to do that sponsorship. A lot of the time they appreciate it especially if they're not used to being interviewed or being on a podcast themselves. Earlier today, I was talking about this as I was sort of brainstorming out loud the, the ideas I had for today's show. And uh, my friend said, you know, anybody can, uh, can record themselves speaking, but it, it takes a lot more to, to make it into a podcast. And that's really an interesting idea because one of the things I love about uh, a number of podcasts that I listen to are they do sound just like a conversation. But what, what I think the point they were making was that uh, there, is, uh, there is this awareness or at least the, the goal that you have an audience, uh, that you're speaking not just for yourself and for your co-hosts or for your friends, but you're speaking to an audience. It doesn't matter how big that audience is. Five people, 30 people, 30 people came to hear you talk. They downloaded that file to listen to you and they're setting aside an hour to hear what you had to say. Like that is the coolest thing in the whole world. And that's why I think anybody who who wants to start a podcast should absolutely start one. And, uh, you know, so many people uh, will, will have been writing into me saying, Dan, don't talk so much about sponsorships. We're not going to get sponsorships. You told us we need 10,000 downloads to get a sponsor. And why are you telling us to go out and try to get a sponsor if we only have 500 downloads? You know what? Uh, the, the, the guy who said that to me, uh, that's a, he's making a great point because you know what? You're probably going to get told no if you go out and say, hey, we've got a great show. We got 350 downloads. You, Squarespace, sponsor us. Squarespace might, but they also might not. Uh, and, and that's the realistic uh, side of it. So why am I encouraging you to go and do it? Well, uh, A, they might say yes, uh, and B, it's good practice. If you take the thing that you're doing seriously, uh, even if you have a $39 microphone and, uh, and a computer and that's it, that's your whole setup, take it seriously. Put 100% into making that thing that you're doing great. Why do something if you don't believe in it? Why do something if, you, if you're not trying to make it great? You don't have to worry about failing. You don't have to worry that the thing that you're making won't be good. If you're giving it 100% and you're having fun doing it, who cares? You know what? It, that, that might just be the thing that takes you to the next level is the fact that you do take it seriously. Um, so many people write into Archer Avenue. That's the, the uh, podcast ad uh, network that we have, the agency. And they write in there like, we've got a show. We've, we get 1,000 downloads a month. You, do you think you could f- help find us a sponsor? What, uh, you know, the, the, the real answer to that is maybe, but what, if we get enough of those smaller shows, we can kind of bundle them together and say, look, we've got five shows that are talking about Apple. Uh, none of them independently have enough downloads to be interesting to a sponsor. They, yeah, well, we'll wait until they get a few thousand more, but packaged together, maybe that's more interesting. And I feel like that's a big trend uh, or, or could be a big trend for the smaller shows that are great, but just don't have a bigger following yet is, is to kind of uh, work together to get a, a sponsorship going. We help some shows do that, but I feel like that this is, this is a trend that helps, uh, helps represent those shows and, and get them something. Even if it's only 20 bucks, hey, that's 20 bucks. And that could go toward better headphones, a better microphone, uh, a dinner out. <laughs> you know, uh, I just, I feel like there are so many uh, benefits to taking your show seriously, whatever it is, whatever the audience number. Uh, it's, it's just so important. You know, as I talk about this and I talk about things like, like downloads and the importance of tracking those downloads, uh, there are lots of ways to do it. I mentioned in the past that uh, we built a tool that we use, but there are other really good tools out there. PodTrack, uh, PodTrack.com, they've been doing it 
for a long, long time. And I would need to double check. But the last time uh, that I looked into it, uh, they had what is essentially a free service. You just sign up with PodTrack and there, a little redirection happens behind the scenes. You insert their URL in front of your own download URL. And every time someone clicks, they track that, they track that download for you. Every time someone uh, pulls it down in, in uh, their local copy of uh, whatever podcast app they love to use, it, it tracks that one download. Libsyn is another uh, great place to go for uh, hosting and uh, you, by the way, you don't host your files with PodTrack. They just track. Uh, Libsyn will do the hosting and the tracking for you. Uh, so, so those are two really good alternatives that if you're like, I want to track my downloads now, go there. Go to those two sites and, and look into what they offer. Um, we're not like ready to really open ours up yet. But if you want to get on the, the list for in case we do that, uh, just hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. And, if, if, and when we decide to open that up, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you in there, but it's that tracking because it's downloads that are important. People do want to know subscribers. The podcasters seem to want to know subscribers. I've mentioned this before, but w- what it comes down to, and we work, we work with sponsors every single day. Uh, they want to know downloads for an episode. So giving them accurate numbers, super, super important, uh, to do that. So again, mentioning tools, talking about tools, uh, we have this thing called a show bot. So if you've ever listened to any of our shows that we do live, a great example of this is, uh, is uh, DLC that Jeff Kanata does. Uh, he has tons of really great fans. And so when we stream that show live, uh, the fans jump into our chat room, which is just a, it's an IRC, uh, an IRC room that we have a little uh, IRC embedded app on the website. So at 5x5.tv slash live. There's a little chat room in there, which is a, a web interface to the IRC chat room. So you can jump in there and you can start talking and Jeff answers the questions and all these other things. He's in, totally interacting with the audience. And during the course of the show, the audience can suggest titles. We've got this great uh, software that was written for us by one of our super fans. It lives at showbot.5by5.tv and, uh, and that allows – it ties into that IRC chat room and when people make title suggestions – uh, that is logged there, and then at the end, people can go in and vote. The audience listening live can go and vote and pick the title that they like best. So this is one of these great little tools. Well, the, the person who wrote that uh, open-sourced it, so everyone can go and set this up. Everyone can go and embed IRC, and, uh, and streaming, that's a bigger topic, and it's a highly technical topic. So that's something that I'm going to write an article on, on podcastmethod.co, uh, 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 because that's something that would be pretty boring to listen to, but uh, pretty valuable, I think, in, in writing. So I'm going to put that out there because everybody can stream their show uh, live for v- relatively low cost. The cost of a uh, typically of, of a, a virtual server, you know, at something, uh, you know, at, at any, any of these companies that sell these Linux virtual servers, tricky to set up at first. Uh, but uh, we've done it and we're going to share that info. It's, it's out there also if you just want to go search for it. But uh, I think I might do a write-up on that. Let me know if that's something you want on, on Twitter and I'll jump on that. But this is the kind of thing that like if you do your show live, it, it feels a lot more like radio, right? You're, you're streaming this thing out live. And you know what? Again, don't worry about the numbers. Uh, you might get five people listening live. That's five people who are listening to your show, who are suggesting titles, who are making the show better. And, uh, and that's where the term, if, if you've ever heard me on other shows, refer to, uh, to the 5 by 5 listeners as jackals. Uh, it, it, they're actually the most wonderful, beautiful people in the whole world. And uh, a lot of the time we'll be talking on a show and we'll say, oh, what year was the first iPod? What year was that iPod? What, what year did that come out? People will be listening in the chat room. They'll Google it and they'll, they'll type it in. They'll give us the answer. It makes the show so much better to interact with your listeners. It's so much more fun to be watching Twitter and asking questions and seeing people responding there. So much fun that way. And audience interaction is, is a, a big part of it. And the people who are listening, they really enjoy having that kind of interaction with you as the host. And then they hear their name mentioned or they hear their Twitter handle mentioned and like, hey, they made an impact on the show while it was happening. Uh, and like I've said in the past, recording something live, streaming it live, live to tape, as we used to say, is, uh, is a whole lot of fun because it keeps you as the host on your toes. You know, people are listening. Hey, it might only be five people. Cool. Five people are listening. I don't want to screw this up. 
So another tool that I whipped up really quick because I couldn't uh, find a good way to do this. Uh, there was, the, you know, I was looking at, at Google stuff. I was looking at making a subreddit, all of these different options for like collecting topic suggestions uh, for this show. Well, I couldn't find something that worked in a really straightforward, simple way that allowed uh, me to sort of say, give me some topic suggestions and a place for people to go and type in their topic suggestions or their questions. And then other people could upvote them because there's all these little details about it. Like, well, what about if trolls get on there and they, you know, add a, a ridiculous, a profane question and upvote it by 5 million? Well, that's stupid. You know, I want to kind of get around that. So I thought, well, I could have people authenticate with Twitter and that'll make sure that each person or at least each Twitter account gets one vote. And, you know, put this thing together really quick. So I wrote this thing up in Rails really quick. It took me a few hours. Um, my friend Chad Bailey did the Twitter, Twitter integration thing. And, uh, and so now you can go to topics.5by5.tv. And, uh, and that's where I've actually, even though I'm still doing it on Twitter, that's where I've been saying, hey, put in some topic suggestions and upvote them. And this is a way that I can go through this, uh, this list of questions that you guys have asked. I won't get through all of them today. But uh, podcast method topic suggestions is there. And right now, uh, there's something like 20 questions on there that you guys have been upvoting. But I'm not going to ignore Twitter. I would never ignore Twitter. So in fact, I'll start with some questions on Twitter today. Brian Broom, looking for, mic, looking for a mic for screencasts, and I want to avoid key clicks. Should I go dynamic, meaning dynamic microphone versus a condenser microphone? Is Rode the only choice? for beginner or intermediate range? This is a great question. Uh, we've been talking a lot on the podcast method about podcasting, about, you know, making podcasts. But my hope, my, my sincere hope is that there's recording value here for, for people who just want to make a good recording too. Because we do talk about a lot of things like microphones, mic technique, uh, software to record with, right? So, this is a great example of somebody who hopefully is listening to the show and, and can take something away from it and use that for doing screencasts. I did screencasts with a really great friend of mine, Jeffrey Grosenbach, who had a company called PeepCode, peepcode.com. Uh, and uh, he recently sold PeepCode uh, to Pluralsight, which is a, a, a bigger uh, tech creative training library site where uh, anyway, I made these screencasts for him and he would publish them on peep code. And I did the narration of these things. So a lot of the time when people are making a screencast or a demo or something like that, they're working through it as they're doing it. In other words, if you're making a screencast on how to edit in final cut pro, well, you're going to be going through the demo of, okay, here, and I drop this thing here, and I move this here, and I do a transition here. You're talking about it as you're doing it. And all the while, uh, there are clicks happening. You know, you've got, uh, you've got a, a mouse there that you don't want to hear that. I'm holding this right up to the mic. You don't want to hear that during <laughs> the recording of your demo. So how do you get around it? Uh, is it a microphone thing? Is it a... Uh, a processing thing where you've got a noise gate that's cutting out those quiet noises. Yes, it could be one or both of those. Uh, but I'll tell you a little trick. And I learned this from Jeffrey and I, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing it uh, five, six years later. But his trick was he would go and do the demo. And while he's doing the demo, he's talking into his microphone, but he's sort of is just kind of talking not from a script. He's just sort of describing what he's doing. And now I click here and I do this. And what he would do later is he would go and transcribe that. And he actually, he had a system, man. He, he had it down. He had a, a, an actual transcriber that he would, he would send that recording off to. The person would transcribe it and then he would edit it into a script. I suppose you could transcribe it yourself. Now, this sounds like a lot of work, uh, and, and of course it can get expensive if you're having a transcript doing, but if you do it yourself or if you're talking into, you know, run it through dragon dictation or something, uh, or Siri, then, uh, what you can do is you can, you can actually have a transcript of what you said, and then you print that and you re-record it and you re-record it in a very uh, slow, concise way so that you're phrasing it just right. So if you go back and you listen to, uh, one of these peep code, uh, uh, things that I did years ago and you hear me and you're like, oh, Right, he's he's a pro. How's he how's he sound so good while he's recording? Well, that's because we transcribed it and I redid it later. 
And then you've got those different segments or sections and in Final Cut Pro or whatever tool you're using to make your screencast, right? You, uh, you basically go back and put that audio in and time it along with the video. Complicated process for sure. So let's take a step back and say, well, that's a super professional way of doing it. I'm just making a five-minute thing for YouTube on how to do X. I don't want to go to all that trouble. Should I get a dynamic mic? Is the Rode the right mic to get? I have been recommending the, uh, the Rode Podcaster uh, for a long time. The reason why I like that microphone is it, it is a dynamic mic, which I'll just briefly explain again what that is. And also it's a USB mic, which means you don't need a separate preamp in order to, uh, to, to plug this in. It plugs straight into your computer on a USB port. You don't need a separate device to do that. Uh, all of these things are, uh, are very beneficial, especially if you're just starting out. But that's not a cheap mic. It's, uh, it's in the $200 range. Not a cheap mic at all. Uh, but it, it is a very good dynamic mic. Difference between a dynamic and a condenser. The, I guess the easiest way to explain the difference is a dynamic mic is better at picking up just the sounds that are in front of the microphone itself. I'm speaking into a Heil PR40 now. Pretty popular uh, dynamic microphone for for podcasting in that kind of mid range price. It's a three hundred uh, plus dollar microphone which needs to go through a preamp and an audio interface. It, it's not a cheap setup, uh, but a condenser microphone they typically have more of a live sound to them, but they pick up a lot of uh, background noise, a lot of uh, a lot of noise in the room. Room noise we call that. That doesn't mean they're bad. They're they're just different. And a lot of the time, uh, we podcasters, we're podcasting in a spare bedroom of our house, right? Or we're in what is already a noisy environment, or we want to eliminate the noise. A dynamic microphone will do a much better job eliminating uh, that noise than a condenser will. Uh, but they, they generally tend to cost more. If you were to go into a radio station, your local radio station, they're using dynamic mics uh, almost always. If you're going into a podcast studio like this one, we use exclusively dynamic mics for that reason because I might be sitting three or four feet at the most away from someone else who's recording on the same show as me. I don't want their audio to, uh, to wind up on my track. Why? Because we want to keep those things isolated and separate. Well, one great way to do that is to use a mic that's just by default going to do that. I also mentioned uh, noise gating. You can actually use a noise gate, whether it's in your preamp or in post in software, to eliminate any sound beneath a certain threshold. You have to be careful with this so you don't get that pumping sound uh, similar to what we talked about in episode two with compression, uh, but uh, that can help eliminate background noise. If I stop talking, total silence. Well, we are using a noise gate for that. We use that in the preamp. We use a DBX uh, uh, 286S, and uh, those are just industry standard uh, preamps. They have a built-in noise gate. You want to use as little noise gate as possible, but what you didn't hear during that silence is you didn't hear the noise going on in, in the office as they're, they're unpacking something right now. You didn't hear the traffic that's uh, you know right outside the other window. You would have, if I wasn't on a dynamic mic and I wasn't using a noise gate, without the noise gate, you, you probably still wouldn't hear it because the Hiles are pretty good at noise rejection. But if I was using a condenser mic, uh, you, you, might, you might have. It's just something to keep in mind. Are we all striving for perfection with our podcasts? Well, yeah, I think so. I want to make the best show that I can make. I want it to be the least distracting as possible. I remember I used to listen uh, to a really great podcast. It was actually like a, th- this guy that gave these Buddhist talks from like a, like a mountain. And, uh, and you could hear like the hard drive of his computer sort of like pausing and, and you know, starting and stopping and stuff in, in the background as he was giving these talks. It didn't bother me, but like I noticed it. And I want people to notice my voice. I want people to notice our conversation, uh, the topics that we're saying, and not if my air conditioner is running. So, you know, is this mandatory? No, there's great shows out there uh, that have technical difficulties. I don't think it's going to stop anyone from listening to your show if you're on uh, a a snowball mic in an echoey room. Uh, But I believe we can strive to make the best audio quality possible to, to give our listeners uh, back by saying thank you for listening. Uh, you know what? 
I bought a better microphone, so I sound better. And now you, you don't hear the baby crying in the next room. So that's a very long-winded uh, answer to Brian Broom's question. Uh, but I, I hope it's useful. I hope it, uh, hope it did answer uh, your question. Um, Matt Williamson says, uh, did you ever find a good non-Mac mini Skype machine? The new minis are not, I'm paraphrasing here, are not the best in the world. Uh, what he's talking about is we use, uh, we have a relatively complicated setup for recording our guests. We actually have a separate computer for each guest. And without getting too technical about this, uh, I- imagine you have a, you're recording a Skype call with an interviewee. So you might have something like a, a call recorder, which is great software that makes it possible for you to record a Skype conversation. You install the software and it puts a little red record button right in your Skype. You click record. It records you. It records your guest, puts them on separate channels. Beautiful. But if you have more than one guest, let's say you have two or three or sometimes four, like when we have DLC, we've got three guests and our call-in system. Uh, you know, that's a lot of people. When I do uh, panel discussion type shows, we've got two, sometimes three people. So uh, having a Skype conference call, that works just fine. But the quality isn't always the best. And you can't EQ those tracks individually. Each person you want to have on their own track so that you can compress them separately. You can EQ them separately. You can clean them up. One person was in a noisy room. One person had a great mic. One person was talking not loud enough. Well, you can fix all that in post, but only if you record them on separate tracks. So uh, we have a separate computer, actual separate, they're, they're older Mac minis, and each one of these Mac minis runs Skype. So if I'm having a, uh, a call and I have three guests, I would connect Skype, uh, the first Skype machine to the first guest, second Skype machine to the second guest, third Skype machine to the third guest, and, uh, and I'm just here talking into the microphone. And if we have another in-studio person, they'd talk into their microphone. And all of these things are being recorded on independent channels. And this happens with a, uh, typically it used to be a Firewire mixer, uh, but now it happens, you know, typically you can do it with a Thunderbolt mixer uh, as well. Mackie makes a great mixer to do that. Uh, we, you can also, there are M, different M-boxes have that uh, capability. And we have now uh, in this room, in the, the main audio room, we have an Apollo, which has uh, actually 16 channels. Now, this is sounding expensive, and it is, uh, and this is sounding complicated, and it is, but the reason that we do that is we have uh, these dedicated machines because each one of these machines uh, allows us to record the audio of that guest very clearly and send them back the collective audio of, uh, of, of everybody else who's, who's talking and being heard. If we have a soundboard or music, they can hear that. All of this stuff goes back to make what, what we've done our best to kind of create a, a mini radio station here. Uh, and in order to do that, we use these machines uh, for Skyping. So if you listen to uh, shows that I do and you think, wow, that guest sounds really good. In fact, both guests sounds really good. How did they do that? Whenever I record that conference call, they don't sound so good. It's because we've, we've solved the problem by spending money, basically. Um, and when I first started out, I was using these really crappy old PCs that I like uh, bought used and, and as slowly replaced them one by one as I could afford to with, with uh, older Mac minis and then a little bit newer Mac minis. But you can get used Mac minis and they work great for this, but they're still kind of expensive. And so uh, the question that, uh, that Matt was asking, you know, obviously Matt wants to do something like this. He wants to dedicate a separate Skype machine for a guest to get better quality. Uh, is there a replacement out there? I haven't seen one yet. Uh, the best thing that I've still been able to find is is finding a used or refurbished older Mac Mini uh, for that purpose. But I'm always on the lookout for inexpensive Macs or PCs because you know what? Skype is Skype. It runs on whether it's a PC or a Mac, doesn't matter. Uh, so if if you know of a computer, I've, I've heard some recommendations for the Intel NUC, uh, things like that, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. And by the way, I want to mention uh, where you can go to find uh, the show notes, because everything that I've mentioned, PodTrack, Libsyn, uh, the topic thing, the road podcast or DBX is I'm putting all of these as links in the show notes. So if you're curious about these things that I mentioned or how to find them or where to go, five by five dot TV slash podcast method, that'll take you to the main page. This is episode number six. So it's five by five dot TV slash podcast method slash six. All the links will be there in 
the show notes. Uh, and now let's uh, do a couple quick uh, topics that were suggested on uh, on that the little topic page. And if you want that, I'll open source that thing too so you can host it yourself. Uh, but let me know if, if it's worth doing because I'd have to clean up the code a little bit before I'm ready to show it off. First question, how do you market a podcast and get new listeners? This was asked by me. It was the first question that I put in there as a test and it got 21 votes. So uh, I, I guess it's worth answering. Uh, this is a great topic. I love talking about this because it's completely mysterious. I don't know the answer. Uh, it's, you know, it's one of those things that's, that even with uh, shows that I think will be great, have a good host, we promote it. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. I think a big part of it has to do with timing. I think another part of it has to do with some topics I've mentioned before, having good show art. Uh, but you know, people often think that having a show uh, listed high in, in iTunes, having it appear in New and Noteworthy, for example, having it uh, appear in the top podcasts, those things are great. Those things are helpful, of course. I mean, they, they, they add visibility. But just because your show is in New and Noteworthy, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to get uh, 5, 10, 20 times the number of downloads that you were getting. You might get some more. But it's not like all of a sudden this is going to skyrocket and your show is going to be propelled forever into the, you know, the, the top 10 shows of all time. I typically have ne not seen that happen with our shows, at least being in uh, new and noteworthy. It, it certainly doesn't hurt. And you do get new listeners that way. Absolutely. But it's not like, oh, we were listed there. Now we have a guaranteed hit on our hands. That unfortunately doesn't happen. So how do you market a podcast? How do you get new listeners? You know, it, again, I, I don't really know. Here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that, yes, being in New and Noteworthy or being in the top list of, uh, of iTunes, it does help with that. Uh, but th the closest thing I have to an answer is engage with your listeners as much as possible. Let them know how to find you. Hey, I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter. If you have any questions, let me know. You may get questions. You may not get questions, but interact with them as much as you can. If you can stream the show live, uh, do it. If you can't stream the show live or it, you, it's not interesting to be live for you, then go on Facebook, go on Twitter, use every social uh, media kind of network that you have to talk about your show and to tell people, hey, ask me questions and I'll, I'll answer them. Or tell me, what did you think of the show? Was it good? Was it bad? What could we do better? How could we make the show better? If you have suggestions, do it. And then take that listener email. If you get one person who took the time to write you, one, do a listener listener feedback uh, segment on your show. Do that segment and read their email if they give you permission to do it. Read their email on the show and say, hey, thanks for writing in. Here's your question. Andy Notko uh, does such a wonderful job of taking time to respond to listener questions, listener email uh, on the Anako Almanac. Uh, it's just It's just great. He cares so much about what every single person who writes him uh, says, and he'll take the time to do that almost on every episode of reading some listener feedback and of answering them, of responding to them. Because what you're doing is you're showing your listeners if you know that, that you care. And that means a lot. This person took time to write you or they took time to tweet you. Tweet them back. Uh, ask your listeners to, to help get the word out about your show. Uh, that is the best way, is engaging in as many possible ways as you can with your listeners and letting them know that you care about what they have to say. Um, there's no easy way to like get your podcast out there and make it a, a bigger show other than just doing the best work that you can. Every single time that you do it, you know, there's this great quote that I heard from Bruce Springsteen, and, uh, and he was talking about uh, the interviewer was asking him, like, I watched your show, but you know what? I've seen you perform 10 times over the last 10 years, and every single show, like, you give it your all. Like, you put 100% into it. How, how do you do that? Why do you do that? You know, you're never just phoning it in. And uh, Bruce, who's probably the coolest dude in the whole world, said, uh, you know what? He said, I remember the first concert that I went to. And I was way in the back and I was, I was watching these guys perform and I, it was just amazing. It was the best show I'd ever been to. And he's like, so when I go out there, I am 
thinking about that kid who's at their first concert. This is their first concert. And I'm doing that show for them. Well, you know what? You can do that with your own show too. Some people, maybe this is the first episode of this show that they've ever listened to. They haven't been here for the other five shows. Same thing with me and Merlin doing Back to Work. We've done more than 200 shows. But in my mind, I think Merlin's probably thinking the same thing. We never know when this is someone's first show. We want to give them something great, not only for ourselves and for the show, but for that person who's just showing up, who's just listening. Uh, We want to make that entertaining and relevant, not just for people who've been there for 200 episodes, but for someone who just showing up, hearing it the first time. That's how, not to use a marketing term, but that's how you convert a one-time listener into a long-time listener. That's how you convert a listener into a, into a fan of this thing that, that you're working on and making. And I'm, fans of, uh, I'm a fan of so many different shows. And it's because I feel like I'm investing something into that show and they're, they're giving me something back. Uh, I remember I got a letter published in, uh, in a magazine when I was a kid. I wrote this letter and I didn't hear back from them. And then... All of a sudden, like six months later, this question that I had asked was like in the letters column. I felt like a celebrity, man. I felt like I was big time, you know, like my question was in this magazine. I think there's an aspect to that. Uh, same thing as like when I used to, when I was a kid, I would call into uh, to radio uh, to request because this is back before we had on-demand music, I would request a song. I really want to hear the new Devo song. They'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, all right, we'll play that. And then an hour later, they'd be like, oh, this one goes out to, you know, to Danny B and uh, wherever, and here's the Devo song. Like, I felt like I was a celebrity. I think there's an aspect of that, but it's, it's that listeners, you know, they really appreciate it when you engage with them. So, again, long-winded answer, how do you market uh, your podcast and get new listeners? It's, it's through that engagement and then it becomes through word of mouth because you've now made listeners for life, you know, and, and they're going to go and advocate for your show. If there's a TV show on that you like, you're going to try and get all your friends to watch it so that you can go and talk about it. Oh, did you see Shark Tank last night? Man, it was amazing. All five sharks when it invested in this guy with the little glowing book thing. It was amazing. Did you see? Oh, oh you don't watch it? You've got to watch it. How could you not watch it? Those, those people doing that for your show, there's no higher compliment. And we have a sponsor today for this show. It is Mandrill. Mandrill is a really, really cool company. They are a, listen to this, scalable, reliable, and secure email infrastructure service. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what. These guys came out of MailChimp. MailChimp took its best engineers. And uh, in 2010, they started working on this. And between 2010 and 2012, they came up with this really awesome service. It is the largest email as a service platform. 300,000 active customers. So what does this mean? Well, you can use Mandrill to send automated one-to-one email stuff. Like uh, like you're building an app, you want to have a password reset, that can go right through their service. Welcome message, thanks for signing up. It'll go right through this. You can also use it to send marketing emails, customized newsletters. All of this is so easy to set up. It's totally stable. They made it for developers who love documentation, who love high delivery rates. If you're building a product, if you're building a service, tell your developers about this because this is the kind of thing that you need if your application, whether it's a web app, whether it's a it's an iOS app, an Android app, all of these things, you need to interact. Yeah, we're talking about engagement, right? You need to interact with your with your users, the people who are there using your application. Hey, welcome to our service. Thanks for signing up. That email had to come from somewhere. Well, it can go right through Mandrill. So go sign up at mandrill.com, M-A-N-D-R-I-L-L, mandrill.com. You're going to use the promo code 5 by 5 and you'll receive 50,000 free email sends per month for your first six months of service. Let me say that again because it's a big deal. 50,000 free email sends per month for your first six months of service. So thank you very much to Mandrill for supporting 5x5 five five and uh, the podcast method. Great service. Here's another question that was uh, asked, seven votes on this one. McBramhill, at McBramhill on Twitter, says, how much of a song am I allowed to use under fair use? Not as a theme song, but if it's discussed on the show. Fair use, what an interesting topic because there are so many different interpretations of what fair use is. If, if you were to trust Wikipedia's definition, 
Fair use is a limitation and exception to the exclusive right granted by copyright law to the author of a creative work. In U.S. copyright law, fair use is a doctrine that permits limited use of copyrighted material without acquiring permission from the rights holders. Examples of fair use include commentary, search engines, criticism, parody, news, reporting, research, teaching, library archiving, and scholarship. It provides for the legal unlicensed citation or incorporation of copyrighted material in another author's work under a four-factor balancing test, and it continues on and on and on. But basically what this means is you can integrate uh, copyrighted material like a song into this thing that you're making like a podcast without infringing on their copyright and without potentially getting sued by the copyright holder. So let's say that I wanted to compare uh, Taurus had this song that uh, I guess Led Zeppelin kind of ripped off for uh, Stairway to Heaven maybe. So if I wanted to break that down and analyze it and talk about it and debate this with my, my other hosts and say, what do you think? Did they do it? Did they not do it? Well, Led Zeppelin, they're great. They're my favorite band. How could they do something like that? Well, maybe they did. You would want to play those songs in this conversation. You wouldn't want to say, okay, listeners, go find these two songs and download them and then come back. I'll wait. Yeah, you could do that. But wouldn't it be better to just include some of those songs here to right here so that you could hear them and, and talk about them and compare them? I think so. Well, that's where fair use comes into play. Is there a limit? Is there a limit on how much of those songs you could integrate into uh, your podcast? Could you play the whole song? No. You could definitely play the relevant parts of that song, though. Here is the you know, 10, 15 seconds of one song. And now we're going to play the next song. And you're doing it not just to play the song or use it as an intro or because you think it's cool in the middle of your podcast, but you're actually talking about this. You're discussing the song itself or you're you're talking about something important. I believe the same would be true uh, in a case of, uh, you know what? We, uh, we did a really fun episode of uh, At The Movies. Uh, we talked about Goodfellas with uh, me and John Syracuse. The podcast, by the way, episode was longer than the movie itself, uh, but we had snippets of Goodfellas in there, some of the dialogue, some of the things like that, and we've done that for other At The Movies episodes uh, as well. Fair use. We're not just playing the whole movie and talking over it. We would talk in depth about a conversation or about a situation, and we'd play a snippet of it. We did the same thing with, uh, with Glengarry Glenn Ross, uh, you know, having a snippet of the dialogue in there. All of those things typically fall under fair use, but the copyright holders might still try to come back at you and, uh, and, and, and get you for that. And I'll give you an example of where this comes into play a lot that, that I've seen in my personal experience. Uh, if you're uploading this to YouTube, for example, YouTube searches whenever you upload something, it searches for content that it knows about. And if that, if it, I'm assuming that they've got a sort of Shazam like system going where it'll try to listen for music and identify it in the processing aspect. And if it finds it, if it finds some music that's in there that it knows is copyrighted, it'll flag that video and you have to demonstrate and, and fill out a little form there that says why what you're doing is fair use. Were you talking about the song? Were you analyzing it? Okay, then, then we'll, we'll let you in. Otherwise, we're going to block this video and not post it. So this is a serious thing. So my advice is, uh, and I guess my answer to that question of how much of a song am I allowed to use, as little as possible or as much as you absolutely have to to, to make whatever point uh, you're making. Uh, it needs to be within that context of a discussion or of a parody or of an analysis. It can't just be because you thought it, it was cool. Hattie Bird, who happens to be Hattie Cook, our station manager here at 5x5, uh, asks... How do I pull audio from things like movies, TV, or YouTube so I can play them on my podcast? So great follow-up question to that first one. Um, how, how, how is it that you would capture audio and play it in your podcast or play it so that your other hosts who are in different locations could hear it? Well, it's a very timely question because uh, a brand new version of Audio Hijack uh, has just come out. Audio Hijack is great, great software by a company called Rogue Amoeba. 
so much fun. They're, they're a very fun company. And uh, basically, in a nutshell, it lets you record any audio, any audio at all, whether it's coming from iTunes or Skype or Safari uh, or a hardware uh, device like a mixer or a microphone. All of this stuff is built in, and they just released a brand new version of it. And the brand new version is is nothing short of amazing. Uh, you can pretty much record. So here's something that you could do. Let's say that you wanted to capture that snippet of the Led Zeppelin song. How would you do that? Well, if you're good at editing, you could take the MP3 file and you could drop it into your thing. But what if you wanted to play that sample to your two co-hosts, one of whom's in San Francisco and the other is in Berlin? How would you do that? You could use Audio Hijack Pro to take the sound that's coming from uh, iTunes, combine it with the sound of your microphone, and send that to a virtual audio device, which is the device that you could, you know, Soundflower is good for this, for example. And again, all of these will be in the show notes. You could then you, you pick that source as the, uh, as the source for your Skype call so that your guests, wherever they are over Skype, are going to hear the sound coming through that virtual device instead of just your microphone. So that you can play music or play sound bites from your soundboard or a YouTube video by capturing all of this and routing it out and sending it to your other guests or out to your live stream or all of the above uh, or just recording it. If there's a YouTube video out there and uh, you wanted to have a little snippet of that and play it during your show. Well, you could use uh, Audio Hijack to do that. Now, they used to have a version called Audio Hijack Pro. It still works. It's still good software. And if you've got that, uh, you can keep using it for that. Uh, but uh, the, the features that are built in to, uh, to Audio Hijack, the new one, uh, as far as uh, the, how easy it is to create these templates for, for common tasks or how to, uh, how to send your audio. Here's a great example of something you can do with Audio Hijack that's just super cool. Uh, we are working on a new video show. Um, I've made the mistake of talking about things uh, that I'm working on before they're done. And then if they don't come out on time, everyone gets angry as they should be angry at me. So I can't really talk about it yet, but I can tell you that uh, some of the software that we're using uh, to, uh, to, to create these videos and, uh, and stream them and do camera switching and things like that, there's a bug and the software is called Wirecast. It's version six. It's amazing software, but there's a bug in it. There is supposed to be this feature called audio delay. Well, we take the audio out of, uh, in, in, in that room, we record through an Mbox Pro. Uh, an Mbox Pro is kind of a weird device. I'll talk about it some other time. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but the same thing was true when we were using the Mackie mixer and the Apollo as well. And that is, uh, aggregating, collecting uh, the, the video signal from our video cameras, bringing that in, and also bringing in audio from another source that's not the video camera, those things are naturally going to be a little bit out of sync. Well, usually you can fix that in post-production really easily, but what about when you're streaming it live, or what if you don't want to spend a lot of time in post? Wirecast has this really cool feature that lets you delay the audio, because it's usually the audio that's, that's coming in fast, by the way, but you can delay the audio by milliseconds or, you know, fractions of a second, so that it syncs up perfectly with the video signal. But the little slider doesn't do anything. So I submitted a bug report, and they said, oh, you know what, you're right, that's a bug. Well, what am I just not going to use Wirecast? Well, I want to use it. It's great software. We spent a lot of money on it and it solves the problem except for this one bug. What well, we're using Audio Hijack Pro and all we do is we take Audio Hijack Pro, we take our, uh, the source of our audio, which is a, a USB audio interface, and we run that through Audio Hijack and we slow down using the, uh, the delay. We just slow it down by you know, I think it's 0.12 seconds. seconds. We just slow the audio down. And then in Wirecast, we pick, instead of picking the the USB device, we pick uh, the Audio Hijack Pro redirected device and we're done. Now the audio is delayed. It's not not perfect, but just one example of all the amazing things you can do with, with Audio Hijack. It will solve so many problems. It'll let you take multiple microphones and combine them into a stream if you're going to be streaming it or record backup recording for when you record everything. Software is a, is a boon for podcasters everywhere. So go check this thing out. Uh, see, they don't need to sponsor podcasts, those guys. Again, notes are at 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash six. So go there and, uh, and check that out.
Question by Selgart. How do you deal with ads on a new podcast? Do you just not have any in the beginning and then start them up down the road? Or do you offer them for next to nothing in the beginning and then increase rates as things go along and you start building an audience? This is a really, really, really good question. It depends. It really depends on the model that you're going after. If you don't have any content for the sponsors to listen to, it's really, really tough to sell it. It's hard to go out there and say, hey, got a great idea for a show, but I don't really have a track record and I haven't done any episodes or I did a make-believe episode I could play for you. Uh, We don't have any listeners yet. That's really tough. Uh, Even for doing this for more than five years now, when we want to launch a new show, uh, it, it still takes a lot of convincing of spot for the sponsors to say, yeah, you should really sponsor the show. And then, well, how many downloads do you think it'll get? Uh, sponsors aren't that interested in how many downloads it might get. They want to know how many downloads it has been getting. Uh, and this is also an interesting problem that we have a lot of the time when we're, uh, when we're taking, a, taking a show. Like, for example, if a show joins 5 by 5 a challenge that we have there is, you know, they might join 5 by 5 at, they're getting a few thousand downloads a week uh, or per episode. Well, if we're starting to sell that podcast for them, we can't sell it at what we think it'll get in a month. We have to sell it at what it's been getting for the last few months. So if it's getting 5,000 downloads a week or 3,000 downloads a week, we have to then go out there and sell it at that level. And sponsors are typically booking, especially the ones that are prolific in the podcasting space, they're booking out in advance. So if we're in Q1, they're closing their budgets for Q2 right now. So if you're trying to sell for your show right now, regardless of whether it's new or not, they're, they're out into February, they're out into March, April, May already trying to close those budgets down. So they're going to want to buy the podcast at, at what it's doing right now, not at what it could or might be doing. Uh, so that can be pretty frustrating for somebody who, you know, who starts selling their ads on their own or who joins a podcast ad agency uh, like us or like, you know, the other ones that are out there because a lot of the sponsors that we work with, they, yeah, we'd love to try your show. Uh, Why don't we start mid-March? Oh, okay. Mid-March. Cool. Cool. Well, that's reality. And if your show grows between now and then, And when you started out, you had no listeners or you had a few thousand listeners and now you've got five, 10, 15,000 and it's March and they already booked it. You can't go to them and say, by the way, I want more money now. Maybe when they re-up, you can. Uh, But, you know, that's the tricky situation. How do you deal with it on a brand new podcast? I have a different philosophy these days for the brand new podcasts. And and, uh, I suggest people try something like Patreon. Uh, Patreon's a wonderful way for people to support your creations. Uh, we have a Patreon. I'll put that in the show notes. And that's actually how I started this show. I didn't have any sponsors of this show for, I don't, I forget when we started adding them. Uh, but the first few episodes, no sponsor at all. I was relying a hundred percent on you guys for supporting us on Patreon. And you know what? We're typically only doing one sponsor instead of the three that we would normally do for like an hour long show. Uh, I'm doing one right now because I really wanted to keep it mostly content, but also you guys are supporting us so well on on Patreon. Uh, So everybody, you know, donate a dollar. I say that a lot. A dollar makes a huge difference. Um, If I had $1 from everybody who is downloading this show, uh, we would certainly not need any sponsors at all. Uh, but, uh, we don't, and that's okay. Uh, take whatever you guys want to give and I'm thankful for it, but that's my suggestion to a new show. Yeah. Start out and say, you know what? We would love your help support this show. Did you enjoy the show? Give us a dollar on Patreon. You really like the show? Give us $5 a month, five bucks a month for four or five hours of entertainment. That's a good deal. Wish I could pay $5 and get my kids entertained for five hours a month. That would be amazing. So yeah, you know, ask, ask for support on Patreon. And if it gets to the point where momentum is building and you're getting those good downloads uh, and, and you can then go to a sponsor, then go to a sponsor and say, hey, here's a show. Here's how many downloads we have. Would you sponsor it? Uh, 
as far as offering a spot for next to nothing just to have a sponsor, it's an interesting philosophy. We've tried it. Uh, it, it. It does give the perception that a show is sponsored. And I think in a way, uh, it makes other sponsors potentially more interested. But if the numbers aren't there to back that up, uh, you might not uh, you might not win in that scenario. And also, there's a there's a philosophy that says, uh, don't ever give anything away for nothing. Sell it for what it's worth. Uh, it, you know, your show when you come out with it might not be worth anything, but that doesn't mean give it away for free. I feel like it's better to have no sponsors than to 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 completely just give it away. Because think about this from the sponsor standpoint. They're going to be thinking that this thing that they, you know, you say, oh, they'll be thankful. They'll appreciate that we gave it to them for free because they'll get really good conversions on it. And then later they'll, they'll be so thankful they'll pay us a, a lot more. Actually, you're kind of working against yourself in a way. It could happen that, uh, that what you were giving them for free, now you want to get paid for. I'm not saying it will necessarily happen that way, but it, it, it could, um, it's hard to raise rates. It's hard when a sponsor is is uh, happy with a show and the way that it's performing to come back and say, hey, we've got, we've got more downloads now. We got to charge you more. Sponsors that are smart, they'll say, you know what? The show's working for us. Uh, we we want to pay what it's worth. Here you go. Uh, I just don't like the idea of giving things away for free uh, when there's a value there, uh, especially when we have something like Patreon. Anyway, that's a, a long way of answering that question like I seem to have a habit of doing. Sorry about that. Here's a question uh, from the topics page. Jay Troyer, is it worth removing ums and stutters to make the guests sound more coherent? You like live to tape, but first-time guests seem to be especially bad. Uh, I was talking to Jordan Cooper the other day about uh, about editing of a podcast, and he says, you know, I don't agree with you, Dan, uh, when uh, when you tell people not to edit and always be live to tape. He's like, I edit, I edit the heck out of shows. Well, you know... It, I think I think if you're recording a show where you have a whole bunch of guests or you have a guest and, and the interview maybe doesn't quite go as well as you were planning or guests are talking over each other because of Skype issues uh, or you're having other issues where there, there are these long, awkward pauses or the guest doesn't necessarily give coherent answers. Yeah, yes, yes, please edit, edit them, edit them all out. Uh, I don't believe that you should edit somebody's speech patterns to make their speech patterns better. Not using the um and ah, it's something that is very natural for people, especially when they are talking, they feel like they have to fill space. They feel like they have to fill every single moment. Hey, you've heard me say um and ah probably 10 times already on this episode. It just happens. It just happens and it's okay because I think in a way it is conversational. People do that in normal conversation. So editing it all out, removing every single um and ah or natural pause, it almost makes the person sound a little weird, a little overproduced, I think. I wouldn't take them all out. But if you're listening back to the podcast, as you should be, and you hear awkward pauses, you hear lots of ums and ahs, you hear uh, an answer that isn't coherent, absolutely feel free to, to, to edit it out. Just keep in mind, you don't want to change the essence of what the person is saying. You don't want to mask the way that they talk or the expression of their personality. You want to enhance those things. You want to make their answers and the way that they talk be more effective. You want to help that person uh, give a better delivery. So making them sound perfect, removing every um and ah and stutter or pause, that doesn't make them sound better. It makes them sound like a robot in some ways. Nobody delivers perfectly like that. And if they do, it sounds like they're reading something from a piece of paper and nobody wants that. It doesn't sound normal. It doesn't, you want that flow to be there. Uh, with first time, see, said ah, with first time guests, yeah, they, they can struggle with that kind of thing, for sure. Cleaning them up a little bit, I, I say yes. I say thumbs up. Okay, let's hit a couple quick ones from, uh, from Twitter here, and then we will be done for this week. Fletch, at the Mango Times on Twitter, says, Advice on recording volume levels using GarageBand. My podcast volume sounds great in production headphones, bad in car. Well, 
That is actually a really good question, and it brings up a bigger topic, and that is listening to your podcast when you're editing it versus after you bounce it, that is exporting it to an MP3 file, in different places. If you're sitting there editing with, uh, with really good headphones, uh, I recommend the MDR7506s. These are really good reference headphones. They give very accurate sound reproduction. Uh, they're very neutral sounding headphones. Uh, we wear them here in the studio and I've worn them for years. They're very, very comfortable. If you're listening on those, that's going to give you a, a very true sound when you're editing. If you're editing on $15, $20 Sennheisers, you're going to get a very different sound. If you're editing with your iPhone headset in, you're going to get a very different sound. So what I advise, and I'm not saying you should do this for every single episode, but you might want to do it for your first episode before you release it, is get, you know, get good headphones, whatever you can afford, and uh, record and edit and listen to it there in GarageBand. Then when you export it, listen to that MP3 file. Put that MP3 file uh, on your phone, on your device, whatever, plug it into your car and listen on your car speakers. Because if you're like me, you probably have the bass turned way up in your car and it's going to sound different. Listen to it on your, on your Apple TV through AirPlay or something. Listen to it with different headphones through different devices so that you get a feel for how that sounds. I remember when I first started doing this, for the first, uh, you know, dozen episodes, I was so happy with the way that audio sounded. Not, not this podcast method I'm talking, you know, five or six years ago. I was so happy with how things sounded. And I, I was just, yeah, man, it sounds really good. I can't believe I'm making it sound so good. And then I played it in my car and it sounded terrible, terrible. I was like, what am I doing wrong? And, you know, I, I remember getting some feedback. People were saying, you're doing something wrong because it sounds terrible in my car. Well, I had only ever been listening to it on 15 or $20 Sennheiser headphones and, uh, you know, editing this stuff on, uh, in like garage band in my house. And it, I was, you know, and I would listen to it on, uh, through an iPod, but I never heard it in a bigger space, in a bigger room, in a different environment. You will never be able to get something that sounds great in every single situation. And of course, everybody's own hardware in their car, in their house, uh, is going to be tuned a bit differently. But listening to it in those different environments will give you an idea. Now, in that case, I'd been EQing it with too much uh, bass. It was just sounding super boomy. And I was also still learning mic techniques. So I was way too close to the mic. It sounded like the, the voice of God or something over the microphone and not good. I had to back off the mic. I had to change the EQ settings. I had to learn to talk a little bit off axis. A lot of different things that I only learned by listening. Uh, by listening to it over and over and over again. So it might not fletch. It might not be recording volume levels per se, uh, although it might be, but it, it might be the way that you're EQing it. It might be the presets that you're using. Uh, so I just think all of those things are so important. And the only way to do it is bounce that file five different ways, throw some different EQ on it, experiment, experiment until it sounds uh, good. And then let your friends hear it. Let other people hear it and say, how could this be better? And take their input seriously because there's no right and wrong answer when it comes to how something sounds. Just hear what that person has to say about it. And you know what? Ask your listeners. I'm totally, I think that's a great idea. Hey, I'm trying a new EQ. How's my voice sound? I remember when Marco got a new mic for on, on ATP. You know, he talked about it. Talk about it. Your listeners might just be interested. Last question of the day asked by Brent Billings, who is at EIBCB. On Twitter, how important are the show notes? How important are the show notes? I think that show notes are very important. Uh, I'll tell you why. We talk about lots of different topics, not just on this show, but on all the great shows. We talk about lots of different things. And how is it that, uh, that you, the listener, are supposed to keep track of these things that we're talking about? So here in my notes, which I, as I'm going, uh, I will make notes. I won't necessarily write down URLs and things like that. But as I'm going through the show, I have a uh, TextMate window open and inside of TextMate, I'm just typing things as I'm talking about them. So for example, here's some things that are in this uh, in this little document. PodTrack, Libsyn, Showbot, PodcastMethod.co, the topic suggestions, uh, Peep Code, Road Podcaster, DBX, Call Recorder, FireWire Mixers, Thunderbolt Mixers, MBox, Inaco Almanac, Fair Use, etc. So, 
afterwards, I will go and find a good link for each one of those and I'll add it to the show notes. And the reason that I do that is most good podcast apps and of course the 5 by 5 website will all uh, show, it'll show those links there when you're looking at it on your smartphone or on your computer, you will see those links that are there. And this is of great benefit to people because they're going to say, oh, you know, I heard him talking about, uh, about Call Recorder. I, I want to download that. I want to try that. Oh, they did a show about Goodfellas? I love Goodfellas. I want to listen to that. How are they going to go find it? They're going to have to Google it. Then they'll forget. They'll say, I'm not going to bother. But I want them to listen to that show. Listen to that show. It's a great show. Well, it's in the show notes. That's how you're going to do it. I don't believe that show notes need to be a blog post. I don't believe they need to be incredibly detailed. For me, from my standpoint, the entertainment value is coming from the fact that this is a podcast. I want people to listen. The show notes are supplementary to that. They're additional to that. But they're important because if you're curious about, you know, that Mbox Pro I mentioned or, you know what, maybe you like the show and you want to give me a buck on Patreon, I want to make it easy for you to do that. All of those things are there in the show notes. So I think they're very important. What I'm really describing, though, are links as opposed to big blocks of text. I don't expect people to go in and read this stuff per se. They might read the description of the episode. Certainly, if that's on a website, it will generate some SEO. But I don't expect that people are going to come in and, uh, and, and spend a half an hour reading a long post before they just hit play. I want them to just hit play. I want them to just hit play. So these things are there as notes that people can go back to, refer back to, and, uh, and, and find some additional valuable information in the form of links that are supportive for what we've talked about here on the show. So that's it. Please keep your questions coming. There's two ways to do it. Pick the one you like best. Uh, I am at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. If you ask me your question there, I will either answer it there on Twitter or I will add it to my growing list of questions, but you must use the hashtag podcast method, one word. So, hey, Dan, how do I do this? Hashtag podcast method. Got to be there or I will not uh, be able to see it when I go in to prepare these notes. That's the first way to do it. Second way to do it, topics.5by5.tv. There'll be a list of topics for different shows there. Pick podcast method and ask your question there and encourage your friends and family to upvote your question and I will answer the ones that are the most highly upvoted. Uh, That's about it for this week. I really appreciate everybody who has been tuning in. Thank you so much for rating this show on iTunes. If you have an iTunes account and uh, and you want to help more people find out about this show, uh, please rate it. You don't have to do the review. The review is wonderful. If you have time to do a review, I I read them all, good and bad, and I appreciate it, and I take them all to heart. Uh, But just click the number of stars you feel that the show is worth. Is it a five-star show? Click click five stars. Is it a three? I hope it's not a three, but if it is, click three and and leave a review and tell me what I can be doing better. Uh, Or email me, uh, 5x5.tv slash contact. But I love your feedback. And to those of you who are supporting us on Patreon, you are single-handedly making this show possible. Uh, Patreon.com slash 5x5. Huge difference. Please keep supporting. It helps so much. And uh, we have so many more things that we're working on that we want to do. You guys make that possible in a very direct way. So thank you for that. Uh, Sure, I'll be over this cold before next week. So I'll see you then. Have a great one.